Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I believe robots will build the world. What exactly do these robots look like? Are they got sort of arms and legs? Are they sort of humanoid? Elon said physics is the law. Everything else is a recommendation. So we, we, we abide by that. Uh, today, I'm very privileged to be joined by Russell Verone, the CTO and co-founder of Diamond Edge, a company that's reimagining the future of domestic and general construction. Welcome to the show, Russell. Hey, thanks, Tom. What is your wildest prediction for the future? You know, Mark Andreessen, famous quote of his, software is going to eat the world. I believe robots will build the world. Wow. Like everything? Everything. Yes. Like, uh, like our food, our pizzas, uh, our clothing? Um, eventually, yes. And my focus is right now is on homes. And then in the future, we go to residential. We go to, I mean, we go to retail. We go to streets. We go to bridges. We go to power infrastructure. I really, truly believe that robots will end up building the world in the future. I love it. I, I have this little game I do called a, a change safari um, okay. in my presentations. And the idea is that I ask people to walk around the world and to imagine what they see today that looks wildly different from 30 years ago. And it's extraordinary how little has changed. Like software has kind of eaten the world, but mm -hmm. it's a kind of background element. The, the built environment seems extraordinarily slow to change. Um, why do you think that is? You know, I think that it's the hardest thing. It's, it's out in the elements. It's, you know, taking a lot of big things and cutting them and fitting them into small things and nothing is precise. So the resistance to change is due to the fact that it's hard. Building houses is hard. Ask any construction person. It's not an easy job. It's a great job. It's an amiable job, but it's hard. So no one's gone after that. Where you see automation, you go into a factory, controlled environment, assembling cell phones, right? building cars, building aircrafts. Go out and do that in the mud and the rain at 30 degrees you know, Fahrenheit in the morning in the summer in Phoenix, uh, in the winter in Phoenix, or 125 degrees in the afternoon in the summer really, really hard. And people are shying away from hard problems. And you're taking this on, I believe. Absolutely. Right? So what does Diamond Edge do? We automate construction. So we are bringing robotics to the field to build houses better, faster, at a lower cost. Is this one of those sort of 3D printed concrete things? Or is it a little bit beyond that? It's, it's grossly beyond that. If you look at 3D printing, 3D printing of walls is about 10% of the house. And if you refer to Amdahl's law, I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a computer science law. Gene Amdahl back in the 60s said, if you take any problem and only solve a portion of the problem, you'll never solve the problem. So if I took 10% of the walls of a house and did that with a robot perfectly, and it was 50% better, I've only made the house 5% cheaper and 5% faster. Why bother? You have to go after 100% of the house with robots. That's an aspirational goal. And right now we're heading there, right? We're in the you know, we're at like 25% of the house is being built with that. And it'll take us a long time to get to 100%, but we're not going to stop because the world deserves it. And I see we need it. And that's why we founded Diamond Age to be able to go out and automate 
homes, and then in the future, all sorts of other construction structures. So, so how does this work? What exactly do these robots look like? Are they got sort of arms and legs? Are they sort of humanoid? Um, what parts of the process are they part of and what are they unable to do at the moment? You know, the easiest way for me to explain that is it's a big candy crane, right? About 15, 16 meters wide, right? About 28, 30 meters long, about seven meters high. So it looks like what would unload containers at a port big superstructure, then we actually have two robots that carry tools around. We have one robotic arm that looks just like a spot welder you'd see in a Tesla factory. Then we have another robotic arm that's very, very specific. We've designed, we patented, but it carries big, heavy tools. So we carry around a concrete printing tool, or we can lift roof structure, or we can lift big, heavy sheets of decoration for the side of the house, like sheets of stone or faux stone. So it's this candy crane times 100 and it actually starts when the house is just a foundation. We actually use LIDAR and we scan the foundation so we know exactly what the house looks like. And then we take it through a whole process of we build the walls, we inject insulation into the walls, we cut door and window openings, we load the roof on, spray waterproofing and finishing and paint. So it's a multifaceted process. It's just not kind of squeezing peanut butter like concrete out of a tube and building some walls. So we've looked at the system and said, we have to be able to aspire to 100%. And we built a system that uses existing materials, concrete, stucco, paint, insulation, and builds it in a different way like you would inside a factory. So of all the components that you're talking about so far, you're not using your own sort of proprietary concrete mix and your own sort of special type of um, I know fireproofing like everything that you are building with is stuff that's sort of theoretically somewhat off the shelf. Yeah, we, we call it local supply chain. Like, you know, anywhere you go, construction is hyper-local. Europe, Asia, Africa, US, no one trucks in heavy big things from thousands of miles away. They go to a quarry 20 miles away. So we set it up where we use local materials and we've made the equipment so that the equipment can handle that because construction's hyper-local everywhere in the world. And I have to be honest here, um, for those listening, um, I do have a sort of slight vested interest in this because I, I sort of own a piece of land in Miami that it's been my intention to, to sort of build a house of the future on. And I've spent years looking into various prefabricated solutions, sort of ADU, mm-hmm. sort of modular construction, 3D printed walls. And everyone I've ever talked to has sort of said, no, you know, this stuff isn't, isn't ready. Mm-hmm. Um, but this seems sort of somewhat different. Like it seems like a much more holistic solution. So if I was to sort of um, bring you onto my site right now and you were to sort of admire the various uh, beautiful trees around, what, what would your company start to do? Like, would it, would it do the foundations? Would it build the walls? Would it build the sort of superstructure, mm-hmm. the insulation, the electro, electrics, or do you do the, the second fit? Like, at what point does the sort of process get handed over to other people? And is your long-term aspiration to be able to do everything in one go? Yeah, the long-term aspiration is absolutely do everything. That, that's that's a very, very big goal. So it's going to take some time to get there, but we'll never give up. But if I, if I walk down into your land, you tell me what you want to build. I don't really have build constraints, so we can build pretty much anything you like within reason, as long as it fits inside the machine. And we would start, we would traditionally, just like they pour a foundation, concrete trucks come out, eventually we'll automate that. But today, someone builds a foundation for us, then we start with the scanning process and we print the walls, but we build the house layer by layer. So if you've ever built a dollhouse, like my 
dad built a dollhouse for my daughters and you build it as you go with the roof off. So as you get to, you know, something like 400 centimeters above the floor, you put in the electrical outlets, right? We cut those in. And then as we go up, as the wall gets to a meter, a meter and a half high, we put some of the electrical conduit in. So the walls actually grow and all of the parts of the walls are populated. We get to the top of the house, we finish that out with insulation and the conduits and the channels for plumbing and electrical are already in the walls. Then we start with spraying stucco on the outside or waterproofing on the inside. So you build this house kind of top off with no roof on it to go as far as you can, depending on weather conditions. Then we actually place the roof on the house and we can put the trusses on the structure that holds the roof up the sheathing the shingles and we can spray paint the house so it's very similar materials we don't use anything different it's just a different approach and we've re-engineered the means of using off-the-shelf supply chain stuff so everything you build in a house you're in the u.s here may not know it you know i don't know some of the home supply stores in europe but go to a home depot or lowe's any window and any lows I'll put in the house, any roofing tile I'll put on the house. So we try to use things out of the existing supply chain so we don't have to be special. And is this all your or your company's idea or is this being done by other people as well? Uh, we got inspired by one of the leaders in the field on the 3D printing and we said, it's a big expensive machine and it's hard to set up. Why just do walls? Why not do everything? And I've spent 30 years in factories. So I decided, I can build a factory outside with a team of, of people we have here at Diamond Age. He said, look, instead of a car moving down a production line like I did when I worked at Tesla, we move the tools around the machine to build the house. I think one of the things that sort of hits me about this is there's probably no bigger problem to solve in the world than home construction. You know, there's sort of rampant sort of labor shortages in the entire construction field. You know, by some measures, it's the most valuable industry in the entire world. It's something that is a problem in almost every single country mm-hmm. on the planet. Um, why has no one else sort of solved it already? Like without being sort of rude about you, Russell, like what, how is it that you're the person that's able to provide the best solution and, and other people haven't kind of got there before? Yeah, just to confirm you're right, it is the biggest industry in the world. It's $14.5 trillion around the world. Um, because right now, good enough is good enough. There's not the external influence for people to say, go build it different. The home builders here in the US make a lot of money. I love them. They're my customers. But I want to be able to provide for people that are just coming up, young folks, young women and men out of school, want to start a family, buy a house. That's the bedrock of, of just our civilization is family, and family needs a home right? And the people that care the most are the ones that don't have one. The people that are building in the construction industry, they're motivated by market forces. We as a team, the the people who who founded my company looked and said, hey, this is a big, meaningful problem. This is not delivering burritos by a drone, right? This is, you know, this is housing. This is a place when when we sell a home, a house, it becomes a home. People have birthdays there. They have Christmas there, memories, right? That's like connects to you on that visceral level. So we said, let's solve that. And we looked at the problem and said, if taken step by step by a really good engineering team using existing materials and existing processes, we can automate this. And it's going to be a long road and a hard road, but we're willing to do that. What are the biggest problems that you face um, that need solutions? Like, is it to do with zoning and regulation? Is it to do with... 
um, the sort of hyper-local requirements the different places have? Um, is it the construction of the robots and the tolerances and dexterity needed? Like, what, what are you sort of mainly working on at the moment? Uh, you know, you, you hit on a lot of things in that we've we've just taken the approach like regulation. I'm not going to fight in, in the U.S. We say I'm not going to fight city hall. The regulations are what they are. They're there to provide safety. So if if a regulation is for life safety or worker safety, I respect that and support it. Zoning, I don't like, but I deal with right materials. We knew that if you were going to build houses with robots, you're already strange and weird. So you could not go upset the ecosystem and look, I'm bringing in some biofoam or mushroom based thing. People will look at you strange and go, no. So we said concrete, paint, stucco, right? Wood for roofs. And then to, to home in on the, the difficult parts, the difficult parts are actually um, some of the same problems that people in the self-driving space, right? Sensing, right? All of the things to figure out where the robot is in the world out in a, in a real environment. You're not in a closed factory. You know, just like Waymo and Cruise have to sense and know what's around the vehicle, it's the same thing we do with the robot. So those are some of our biggest challenges, but we've solved them through integrating other people's solutions, solutions that come in from very different industries, aviation, and shipbuilding. So we just looked and said, someone has solved most of our problems. We have to be an integrator and be willing to do the first step of the process of saying, let's go try it and then learn and say, it wasn't good enough, but now we know. And who are your customers? Uh, are these sort of big developers that you're selling to? Yeah, right now, big developers are selling to, you know, and, and it's it's like we talk about the, you know, robots will build the world. So right now we're building houses because that's most important to us. And, and from a manufacturing standpoint, homes are relatively a simple product, right? So when you start something with automation, you want to start simple and learn. And then we'll go on to retail and bridges and roads and whatever you need. So we will do the whole ecosystem of construction eventually. But an interesting thing is we're selling to home builders right now. And we also just um, yesterday, no, Monday, signed a letter of intent to go help build structures in Ukraine. Structures for homes, structures for protection. So, you know, this is not limited to just home building. This is addressing the need for automated construction that goes fast and does it better and at a lower cost. So, you know, we're excited about that. Very excited. It shows the thesis that we won't be contained to homes, but we also have to have the laser focus of a young company to say, homes are really what we want to do, but the Ukraine mission is near and dear to us. And we like, we have people that need our help. Let's go expand our, our horizon a little bit and go help those folks. Because uh, I was going to ask about different sort of countries in a way, because, mm -hmm. um, you know, homes are interesting and um, some elements of, of home ownership are very global and some things are very local. Mm -hmm. You know, like in Japan, homes are almost expected to last sort of 50 years or something. Mm -hmm. um, in, in Germany, people are less likely to want to own. Um, in theory, is your technology such that it can be applied in any country on the planet? Yeah, or I believe so. Kind of require a certain sort of, um, you know, space or, I don't know, uh, sort of power requirements or something? You know what, you know, I th we believe we can go anywhere. Like I said, the, the, the Ukraine thing will be our first test. Um, but you know, you go, you go to Asia, you go to, um, you go to Africa, you go to South America. I've traveled a lot, right? Built a lot of factories around the world. So you have to respect those local requirements. There's certain things we're not going to do. I'm not going to try to squeeze my machine between two buildings that are eight meters apart. It's just not going to happen. My machine is, is right now. I won't do that, but in the future, if that becomes the need and people really need that to solve, I have an amazing engineering, you know, team, my team of women and men in engineering will solve that problem. So right now we've built bespoke that looks more of the 
um, large scale developments here in the US, the kind of the, the quote unquote suburbs you'd see in the US, right? That's what we've designed the machine for. But, you know, we can go a couple of stories high, we can go much narrower, longer, wider, and we can use different materials. At what point do things start getting difficult? Like, obviously, if the, the spaces are confined, it gets difficult. Is there mm -hmm. a, a number of stories or, or level of spanning or, um, I know, seismological requirements? Like, at, like, at what point does your technology sort of stop being a good way to do this stuff? Um, you know, Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Right now in its present state, it's early. Um, I've got about six machines, second generation of our design. You know, like I said, we're about 15 meters, you know, about 48, 50 feet wide, about 28 meters long, right? Yo's in the U.S., about 90, 90 something feet. Um, and, uh, you know, that that provides us access to a giant market segment right now where we're at. So that was the first version we decided to build. Um, but, you know, and that can go up to three stories. So and here in the U.S., that covers almost... 80% of that single family, multifamily housing. Like I'm not going to do a giant apartment block of 600 units with this yet. Right. Give me a few years. But, uh, you know, if I do something that's here in the U S a lot of light rail going in, in Phoenix, I'll build something that's three stories tall, you know, 30 meters deep and has six or eight units in it. I'd love to do that. Once I, I really get the, the technology of those single family homes down. Something that you said that surprised me earlier actually was this idea that this is um, this is merely the sort of first phase. Mm -hmm. um, it sort of reminds me a bit of Elon Musk sort of launching the Roadster as the first car. Mm -hmm. Like you know, his goal wasn't really to sell sports cars. His goal wasn't really to sell cars. His goal was to sort of change the face of the planet um, with sort of battery technology driving that. Like mm -hmm. like it sounds like you've got a similar mission where this is merely the first stage. Mm -hmm. um, and if so, and you're happy to, can you sort of comment on your your further plan? In, in sort of more detail. Oh, absolutely. You know, full disclosure, I worked directly for Elon for a while, so I have the battle yeah. scars, but I also have about 20 IQ points more from just <laughs> osmosis. Like, amazing guy. Like, I had the, yeah. the most fun, except for now at my company. Uh, just absolutely amazing experience. But yeah, we uh, we mirrored it a little bit differently. Like, you know, Tesla did the Roadster as that at exploration. We, um, we chose to go after that simple form, kind of like Tesla was the Roadster. We went after, a, you know, a, uh, an entry level or no, or a Hyundai or a Kia, right? Because that was where the need was and the simplicity was there. We didn't want to go out of the gate being really complex and really feature rich. That was dangerous for us because everything's so big. So that's what we went after first. And then, you know, where we go next is you think about where the biggest needs are in construction. So homes are by far the largest market for us right now. And they're all I don't want to say rinse and repeat, but they're very close, right? The three-bedroom, two-bathroom house may have some walls moved, four-bedroom, three-bathroom house. But if I look at a, a, a shopping mall, if I look at a train station, those are bespoke. That's a one-off design. We can do those, but 
to prove out the technology, you want to get a lot of repetition. You want to build a bunch of houses. And we've built about 25 houses so far. We have 17 families living in the houses that absolutely love it. I see them every weekend when I'm down at the job site and shake hands over fences and just, you get the chills because you put people in a home and, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing more satisfying than that. So we, we can build a lot of different things right now. It's going to stay focused on that, that single family. And then as, as the technology matures, we'll expand. What have you learned in this process that surprised you the most? Um, you know, in this process, I think that um, the ecosystem of um, technology has really been focusing on bits versus atoms. I mean, I don't know if you know Delian from Varda Space, right? Those guys are out there. They're building, you know, they're, they're manufacturing drugs in space. And, and he said it best. We, you know, we dream in bits, but we build in atoms. And people look at us kind of little Don Quixote, like, hey, you're, you're tilting at windmills by doing this? And we're like, that's okay. Just stand back and watch us because software is amazing. It's, it's not easy by any, we write a lot of our own software, but to go out and build a machine that weighs 40,000 pounds and build a machine that can extrude concrete and pick up a roof and spray stucco, that is a different level of commitment and variables. And, you know, people, the doubt, you know, there's a lot of doubting Thomases out there and, and we're like, that's okay. Like everybody can be skeptical, but we're all optimists. We believe in an abundant future and we're going to build it. And we're going to go build the machines that do that. I'm going to trip and we've tripped and fall, you know, we fall on our face on a few tools and different stuff, but we're a bunch of builders. So we scrap it and we come right back to the drawing board and say, Hey, we're going to solve that. And it's, it's quite a different approach. I mean, I know we, we sort of touched on this earlier, but lots of people are trying to solve this problem in different ways. Like mm -hmm. the, Probably the the two most obvious other ways are one, just people sort of 3D printing mm -hmm. um, sort of walls, and mm -hmm. that never seems to go further. And two is the idea that homes should be built off-site and either delivered in one unit on-site or delivered in a few sort of modular prefabricated units. Mm -hmm. um, you know, do you think those approaches are both wrong and you have the only answer, or is, is there part of you that sometimes thinks that maybe just building homes in a factory is the way ahead? Um, you know, I look at it in, in, in the first example, you have 3D printing. I think um, I talk to a lot of those folks. Again, it's, it's an interesting ecosystem. Everyone is building hard. So I have respect for everyone who's struck out. I think that, that you, have to, you have to try to solve the whole problem. I don't think that just walls moves the problem. But they do some really architecturally interesting things, and they've learned a lot. So they're, they're pushing the idea of technology solving the house. That's, I love that. Like, is it the right technology? History and time will tell. And then I look at the other side of that question where you look at modular and factory built, and I'm a factory guy. I ran factories for 30 years. And um, that's very interesting to me, but there's things about latency. Like if you build something today and it doesn't get installed till next week, there's distance and transportation. Um, and the modular plays have a very, very interesting place in apartment blocks, student housing, hotels. When you look at what I'm focused on right now, single family housing, it's it's a much harder thing to transport eight or 10 modules, you know, 400 kilometers from, you know, central California to Phoenix and do that intact and, you know, do that at low cost and timing. So I give everybody the, the props for trying the hard things. It's, there's no peanut butter spread solution, you know, that is is winning right now, but we do believe that long term there will be automation that works on everything, and some of that may be in factories, some of that will be on site. So you know, and the housing problem is so big that as long as everyone moves the needle, it'll start to get better. 
it does sound a bit too good to be true at times. Like, um, you know, going to your website and reading about it, it sounds like it's sort of faster and cheaper and sort of better quality all at the same time. That that seems a little bit remarkable. Um, well, you get two legs at a stool, Tom. That three-legged stool problem, faster and better quality. And, and as a startup founder, you know, the cheaper thing is why I don't sleep at night. You know, so we're, we're out there and we're working on that every day. But we definitely, you know, when people come and see it, we've had um, the C-suites of the big publicly traded home builders in the U.S. and some folks from Europe um, come and go and look at the houses and they go, okay, this is a really interesting product. The quality that you get out of it is a differentiation, right? And the robustness. And again, for European folks, like most European homes are built from masonry in the U.S. Unless you're on the Gulf Coast, it's, it's a lot of wood. Um, the stoutness of the house and the quality of sound reduction. So we build a different product and we definitely build it faster. Um, like I said, so you get two of the three legs of the stool right now. And when I get that third leg, then, uh, then we're going to have a lot of fun conversations. But um, the designs that I all saw were quite sort of, um, let me think of my words carefully, uh, they're quite sort of rudimentary designs. Mm -hmm. But I guess in theory, because you're basically building the toolkit, mm -hmm. um, rather than the house, there's no reason why there couldn't be more interesting designs and then further down the line, more sort of intricate designs. Um, or are there some, some sort of problems with physics that are getting in the way here? No, no. You know, in, like I said, ex-boss love him. Uh, Elon said, physics is the law. Everything else is a recommendation. <laughs> so we, we, we abide by that. Um, no, we can, we can build some interesting architectural explorations, but in, in the housing crisis, people with attainable housing, right? Entry-level, small, good for starting families, um, you go with familiarity. And people like a three-bed, two-bathroom house here in the U.S., some stucco on it, some, you know, some clapboard siding if you go east or brick. Um, so you build that familiarity because you can't bring a weird robot to something and say, weird robot only does something that looks like a yurt or, or looks like a stack of pancakes. Like, you know, you'll have some people, the early adopters and the architectural aficionados go, oh, that's amazing, right? And I, I talk to a lot of those people and I admire them and I learn from them. But the familiarity of just that, hey, it's a three bedroom, two bath, two car garage. I got a picket fence. I have a dog and two kids. That's, that's, the, that's the goal for a lot of people around the world. And uh, that's what we're building right now, but we definitely have the ability to go and um, do some interesting architectural explorations. It's just right now, stay simple. Don't get and, over your skis, as we say here in the U.S. And um, and as we sort of go back towards your prediction, mm -hmm. um, you know, when you look towards the far future and robots being used to construct things, um, what things do you think your company will end up making in the future? Like, what's your sort of ten or fifteen year vision for Diamond Age? Um, you know, definitely multifamily, multi-stories. I think, you know, we can go, um, once you have the code cracked of being able to bring equipment to a job site, set it up, sense where you are in the world and, and run those procedures that get good results of a building. Construction is like the, there's not a lot of difference between, you know, making a sidewalk or a street than there is a building foundation, right? This is all shaping materials and, and cutting and, and molding and so different things. So, you know, I don't think we limit ourselves. The, the thing I look at is, is the need for the ability of this equipment in 15 years down the road is, you know, Gulf Coast of US, my mom's down in Florida, hurricanes come in, right? Climate is a real issue for us. You level a community, you know, there's two scenarios I want to see. One, I want to see that Diamond Age built that community two years ago and everybody just rakes the leaves out of their yards and maybe dries out their garage. 
Or if we haven't built that community, when that community gets blown down or a fire runs through it out in the U.S. West, we come in and an army of robots unpacks and rebuilds the streets and rebuilds the power lines. And that we have this sort of, if you know the older cartoon Jetsons, right? Like we have this, um, you know, or I, you know, I robot with Will Smith, you have this little army of robots and there's a lot of people out there building bits and pieces of that, that we think we can take advantage of. So that, that future for us becomes, um, you know, that, little army of robots. It may not look like what it looks like today, a big giant frame. You know, you have humanoid robots coming. You have a lot of great things that people are doing. So I'm super excited about the whole space. And, uh, but I think, you know, if you said 15 years, I have an army of robots that can go recover a community or someone wants to build a new city in California, we show up, we start building that thing. And that, you know, you've got people there with great jobs, maintaining the robots and people with software. So, you know, I don't worry about the job aspect. We just will, we'll recreate the jobs around that. But I think, you know, 15 years, army of robots building anything you want. I love it. You know, I would, I would think Tom that, um, you know, when you, when you think about it is, um, you know, we, we talked a little bit, I just talked about that, like the, the climate impact of housing, right? So yeah. housing is, is the biggest problem out there, but the, the second part of that housing is, is climate change and wherever you sit, doesn't matter when a hurricane blows down a community, when a wildfire burns up a community, people suffer. So, you know, we've designed a product that is energy efficient and climate resilient. So you're building the house that will last because, you know, you can build an amazing passive house, zero energy house, super efficient, amazing design. But if it burns down, right, what's the climate impact of building it a second time? What's the family impact of losing, you know, grandma's curio dresser and your kids trophies, right? So we want to build things once. We want to build things that provide people safety and that resiliency. And that's where we really come back to say, when I think about climate, I think about delivering people that safety and that resiliency because it's happening more and more. And you see people in the U.S., you see people in Europe, you know, you see hot summers in Europe, you see flooding, you see Asia, everywhere around the world, people's lives get disrupted. And I think we have a duty as builders to give them a structure that provides that safety and that security because home should be a safe space, right? And it shouldn't matter that a hurricane's coming. I, I'm an engineer. I can figure out how to withstand the bigger hurricane. Right. And, and to provide that to people. And that's an exciting thing to say, look, in the near future, that's what it'll look like for people. I think it's fantastic. I used to, um, I used to show a picture of a very complicated robot laying bricks mm -hmm. in one of my presentations. And it was always an example of how we apply technology to old ways of doing things to kind of lubricate false systems of the past. Mm -hmm. And how what we really need to do is sort of reimagine these things from first principles. Mm -hmm. And I never really knew what the answer was. I always knew that the answer was not a robot laying bricks. Mm -hmm. um, but when I saw your technology, I thought that's, you know, it's only when you see the answer that it becomes obvious. And, and, and seeing the work you're doing and seeing your approach towards it and seeing your, um, your core competence in robotics being applied to construction rather than construction people tried to, trying to sort of improve their own industry. Um, it's really profound, really ambitious, um, and it makes me feel really excited. So thanks so much. You're making me blush, Tom. You're making me blush. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> no, it, it, it is. It's, it's I, I, again, I keep coming back to him, but he's a great. I learned from Elon. Give something that has an amazing experience and then once people get locked into that, then you can change it. You can change the chemistry of the battery. You can change the steering wheel. You can change the interface. And that's what we're doing. We're building a familiar product. And as the company grows, we'll re-engineer the materials, the doors, the roof to be even more factory-like. And that's the fun part is you get the trust of people and you build familiarity. 
And then the constraints come off and that's, look at what Elon's doing, Cybertruck and casting parts of the car. So that's the aspirational thing. So if, if I step in his footsteps to get us better on housing, I'll shamelessly do that all day. It's brilliant. Yeah. That's it for this episode. I'm your host, Tom Goodwin. This series is produced by Marta Rodriguez-Martinez. Alice Carnvali also assisted in the production of this episode. The theme music is by Alexandra Jazz. Sound editing is by Jean-Christophe Marceau. And sound mixing is by Matthew Duchesne. Our editor-in-chief is Ali Isyan Aydin. If you aren't already, you can listen to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Castbox, or wherever you get your podcast. If you're already enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving us a positive review and, of course, sharing it. You may, of course, subscribe on YouTube. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.